0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome everybody online. Nice to see you. I'm J.D. Lloyd. Uh, some of you I've uh, sat here with before. Uh, if not, nice to meet you, and I'm really happy to be here again. I uh, appreciate KC invited me to come down and, and uh, lead the group again. So wonderful to be here. Yeah. All right. So let's sit together um, for about half an hour. I'm going to give uh, some light guidance and uh, maybe a little more uh, aiming towards intentional practice today. Um, starting always with being mindful of what's ex- arising in your experience, but Maybe inviting you to to go a little bit of another step as we go through. So, starting with the bell, I'm inviting you to practice. in a way that's comfortable for you and your body. Maybe taking just a moment to align your body in a way that you're able to pay attention, but also to maintain some sense of ease. Noticing that as we sit or lie down or lie back, there are parts of the body that feel foundational, parts that are connected through the proxy of the chair or the pillow, the floor, the couch through that to the earth beneath us. Noticing the substance and weight of the body in contact. And at the same time, sensing into and noticing these foundations, the body still is not rock solid. There's movement in the body. Maybe subtle. with these two, two seeming contradictions existing together in the body the solidity and movement our body both supports us and allows us to move through the world I invite you, perhaps, to extend a note of appreciation for this body. And sometimes we move through the world with our attention up in our head, <clears throat> our eyes, forehead, As if we're looking for something, sometimes worried about something and sort of take our body for granted. Perhaps there is something about our experience of being embodied that is not always pleasant. Perhaps there's injury or disease, unease that we carry with us in the body. But understanding also that there are two sides to this coin. one of the movements that is irregular within our body is our breath this circular steady rhythmic movement that is in the background of our awareness every literally every moment of our life The breath that has been with us every moment since we were born. Noticing breath moving within you in whatever way Wherever your attention moves. Perhaps seeing the breath a little bit anew in this moment. How wonderful it is that the breath is working, sustaining us, nurturing us. And like with the body as a whole, this relationship can sometimes be complicated too. Sometimes our breath feels caught. Maybe we have a little asthma. Maybe there's some kind of a a hurt or trauma within us that manifests in Diaphragm. Just acknowledging that the breath is doing the best that it can, and we find some appreciation for the support and sustenance that it provides us. And the body and the breath are the foundations that many of us use when we meditate to anchor our attention, to remember to return to when we get distracted. Some of us use sound, sound rising and falling and the spaces in between. How amazing that we have sound, the ability to hear sound, one of our senses and our other senses as well. Even if you're practicing with your eyes closed, you probably notice some nuance of light through your eyelids. You can feel, in various ways, the surface of your skin. Feeling temperature and contact. Perhaps you notice the faintest smell in the air or lingering taste in your mouth. And like with the breath and the body, there may be some of these ways of sensing the world that are difficult for you in some way. But as we notice, we can practice appreciating. Being grateful for these various abilities to interact with and sense the world around us. As we rest in the present moment, part of our experience is also arising of thoughts. The thoughts that we don't make happen simply come out of nowhere. Thoughts that have various contents, projections, ruminations, fantasies, Sometimes imaginable, sometimes troubling, sometimes really nothing at all. But how amazing that we have this brain that is capable of producing thoughts, it's capable of forming ideas and studying, communicating, navigating, how amazing. as human beings we all have an actual heart and we also have a metaphorical heart a symbolic heart that represents our emotions emotions that tell us help us to understand what some of our experiences are to navigate relationships and understand who we're connected to, to connect and relate and express with each other. Like all these other parts of our experience, these can be Wonderful, supportive, joyful, peaceful, and they can also be difficult. But so important parts of our humanity through knowledge and Appreciate. Finally, to soak in, to acknowledge that we have consciousness at all. That we were born out of stardust. And we're able to, in all these different ways, interact with and interpret and sense to create relate with the world and the beings in it arising from out of all the possibilities each of us in this way is a kind of miracle. Thank you all for your practice this morning. and uh, I want to say hello again. I think some other people have joined uh, on Zoom, and I think one or two other people might have walked in. Again, I'm JD Lloyd. Nice to meet you. I'm a teacher at Inside LA, and uh, again, very, very happy to be here uh, with the invitation to be with you again once here. Just uh, wonderful. Thank you. This uh, meditation I just discovered recently, and, and uh, it just reminds me that it's so easy to take so much for granted in our lives, you know, and that it can be powerful to with some attention and attention to remember all the parts of being human. Uh, even when they're complicated, that there's something underneath that that is providing us something very rich. You know, all the parts of being human. Uh, I was thinking about this um, as I was thinking about what to talk about here, different aspects of this. And I remembered a uh, part of the story of the Buddhist enlightenment. And I thought I would just briefly review that story and, and see if there's a part that like many times when you hear it, I don't always hear. So, um, many of you remember that, uh, uh Gautama was, uh, Wandering as an ascetic for about six years, you may have heard the story before. Uh, practicing, barely eating, and uh, sort of realized that this was not the answer, you know, to becoming enlightened. And he remembered when he was uh, a, a child uh, meditating under a rose apple tree, and he decided that I'm going to try that again, like like I did before. Uh, perhaps that's a way or a path. So. Um seeking a way to to gain some understanding, he set out for Bogaya and uh, found this uh, grove of bodhi trees and sat down underneath it. And he vowed, you know, uh, even if my flesh and blood were to dry up, leaving only skin and bones, I will not leave this place until I find a way to end all sorrow. And so he sat down. and when, as he sat, uh, the demon Mara, appeared and began to to test Gautama, uh, bringing armies that bombarded him with rocks and stones and uh, boiling mud and blistering sands. And all the while, Gautama sat through it calmly. And next, uh, uh, Mara tempted Gautama with three maidens who were actually Mara's daughters. Uh, And they were representative of desire, pining, and lust. And again, Gautama sat through this calmly. He was able to meet this challenge. And during the long night, um, Gautama began to see things truly as they are. Uh, He had had found an answer to human suffering. And uh, he said that the cause of suffering, I, I understand now, is greed, hatred, and delusion. That's the cause. I understand this now. And if people could let go of these negative emotions, then they will be happy. Okay, happy. I like the word happy, not, you know, necessarily enlightened, not necessarily something, you know, woo, but happy, just basically happy. So then Mara challenged Gotama with one final thing: doubt. Mara tried to instill that in Gautama and challenging, you know, what proof do you have that you have become awakened, that you've discovered something? And in that moment, um, you know, Gautama reached out with his right hand, touched the earth, and said, You know, I need a witness. And the earth responded resoundingly, I am your witness. And as the morning star appeared in the eastern sky, he became the Buddha, the Enlightenment. So this is the part of the story that often gets left off when I hear this story, when I remember the story. When the Buddha stood, stood up at last the leaf to depart to begin to spread these teachings, he turned toward the Bodhi tree and stood and stood in some some versions of the story for seven days, offering gratitude. Stood and offered gratitude, appreciated the the gift of being held and supported by this tree. And that I find really inspiring. (laughs) Really, really inspiring, yeah. That it, it was like the Buddha didn't do it by himself. <laughs> he had some support. Had some support from the earth too. Yeah. So it's interesting because when I've done some reading of the the suttas, the, the Dharma, you know, I I don't see a lot of discussion of gratitude. I did find one discourse. It's called the It's called the Buddha's discourse on blessings, and in that. He named several blessings, but one it is a great blessing to be respectful, humble, content, and grateful. Grateful, and to regularly bring spiritual teachings into your life. So, I looked up the definition of gratitude, just you know, in the dictionary, and uh, it's gratitude is the quality of being thankful and readiness to show appreciation for and return kindness. This reminds me again of the the Buddha standing there, you know, returning appreciation and kindness to this uh, tree that had been so supportive of him. This can be challenging. I think most of us know this can be challenging in our life. And from a Dharma perspective, the challenges, the biggest challenges largely are what the Buddha mentioned, greed, hatred, and delusion. When they arise, they can be great challenges to appreciate what has been given to us. And some of the ways we talk about are or, or, uh, reflected on in the meditation and beyond that. I am very interested in the way modern science is interacting and corresponding with the teachings uh, of the Buddha. And uh, so I've also done some study or read about neurological studies about these issues. And I find this is very similar to this negativity bias that we have within us as human beings, that was instilled very deep in our programming early in our programming, largely as a protective mechanism to keep us safe. Um, this the sort of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn—they've added fawn on now to, to sort of go along to make, make nice with other people, other, other uh, beings, and uh, it, it was a very useful and still is a very useful part of our human being. I mean, if we walk out that door and begin to walk out of the street and we don't see a car coming and notice in the last moment, we don't need to stand and think about, well, what should I do right now? We need to, you know, something primitive needs to tell us, get out of the street. Very, very valuable. But these things also turn on a lot of times when we don't need them so much, (laughs) when we're talking to someone or we're thinking about something difficult. These, our body can get activated in the same way. Uh, this corresponds with emotional you know, difficulties and also our thoughts can race and get out of control. We can ruminate. We can make up stories. So, um, and it's also important to acknowledge here that some of us through, uh, well, to acknowledge diversity. That we're very different this way because we all have different personal histories, different family histories, and even epigenetic programs. That may come with you know us from earlier generations that may cause us to react in different ways. So just to acknowledge that we're different still as human beings. The good news is that there's also uh, later to develop networks in the brain of connection that, that that encourage love, family, support, these sorts of things, community, which we all know are valuable. But these when we uh, experience them or practice them are less likely to imprint, much less likely to imprint on us than the negativity. It's that much stronger. Uh, some estimates are like 15 times stronger. So this is why it's so important to practice. It's so important to practice. It's a large part of what I think we're doing here. when we when we meditate, when we study the Dharma, when we walk the Eightfold Path, is that we're practicing. We're practicing ways to be more wholesome and healthy, to have good intention, to understand more clearly. All these ways of practicing to to wire our brains in ways toward more happiness. So I'd like to do a a really short exercise here, and I'm gonna do this both with people online and the people in the room. I like for you to just think about something in your life. Can be the smallest thing that you are grateful for, and I'm talking about like, so I might say chocolate because I love chocolate, you know. So just think about just for a moment, not thinking too hard. What is it in your life that you're grateful for? Maybe that you take for granted, and if you're ready, uh, just shout it out. Um, flowers. What? I heard another one. Dog, dog. Dog. Dog is a good one for me. Anybody online here? You can even type it in the chat if you want to, but I'd like to hear your voices. What are you grateful for? Anybody? <laughs> I know you've got something. <laughs> the Dharma. The Dharma. Cool. Mark, you were going to say something. I think. Uh, feelings. Feelings. Yeah. Great. Zoom. Uh, yeah. Zoom. Okay. Hey, Claire. Wonderful. We can connect, right? Thank you. Come on, people. You, I know there's some other people that have something here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, safe and comfortable place. yeah. I didn't hear it. I'm sorry? Photography. Yeah. Uh, safe and comfortable place to see. Did you hear, guys hear that? There are a lot of people that don't have that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Something that we all sort of take for granted, having enough food to eat, gosh, you know, wow, it's amazing, yeah. So um, just to notice something as we practice this, and you may not feel this way, but often when you express gratitude, it's a little bit infectious. There's a little joy in expressing gratitude. And as I looked around, I was looking online and also looking around the room, I saw quite a few people smiling. You might have had an opposite reaction, too. You might have felt like, well, oh, this is an irritating exercise. I don't really feel grateful not to make anyone feel anything, just to notice that often to express gratitude feels a little joyful or sweet or might raise your happiness level a little bit. Um, I mentioned earlier that these various path factors are all involved in this, but the one that I think about a lot is wise effort. And wise effort, is um, one that I like to to sort of use different terminology for, because when I think about wise effort, I think about effort to me is like pushing, you know, it's like, I don't know, burdensome almost, you know, right? So I I think it's more for me, like like where you're putting your energy, what your attitude is, where your attention goes, you know? Those things to me, Really get more at what it's about, and uh, this this part of the eightfold path basically says that uh, it's skillful that when negative mind states or you know in negative uh, not supportive mind states maybe are arising, it's skillful to if you can to let them go, and it's also skillful to set the conditions in which they might not arise. Okay. It's also skillful to, when positive mind states, again, wholesome, positive, happy, joyful, arise, to support sustaining them, and also to set the groundwork in which those more positive, joyful, happy states might arise. So again, this is practice. It's practice. We can practice with this. We can practice by noticing When they're there and finding ways that we can support them and when we notice other states are there, that are not so supportive of our best intention or our best uh, person, you know, character, we might find ways to let them go a little bit. Other ways to uh, practice reinforcing. More joyful, happy, supportive mind states. uh, are community being a community like we are right now. That's a big one, Sangha, connecting with other people, uh, practicing kindness, compassion. Uh, in fact, all the wrong viharas, kindness, compassion, trying to let go of envy and jealousy and bitterness when someone else is experiencing joy and to celebrate with them. And also to find equanimity, to find stillness, uh, peace. In the midst of the worldly winds, you know, the ups and downs of life, all of these are skillful ways to support it. Another one is to practice what I think is the other side of this, the gratitude coin that's generosity to give. It's a great way to support having, you know, a, a more wholesome experience as a human being, happy, joyful experience. Um, you know, in the East, uh, some of you may understand this. Uh, in areas where Buddhism is practiced in the East, this is actually the first step: is to practice generosity. You know, uh, unbridled giving. You know, giving that nothing is is expected in return. Before we even sit down to meditate, to practice giving, and in that Buddhist discourse that I mentioned earlier, another of the ways of blessing being blessed is to to give generosity generously it's another one of those blessings um the dalai lama says that generosity is the most natural outward expression of an inner attitude of compassion and loving kindness i find that very inspirational and as i mentioned earlier i like to think about how modern science is in alignment with the teachings and modern science agrees there are neuroscientists that are finding that the brain has a lot of neuroplasticity but it can change uh one of those scientists richie davidson says that the best way to activate positive emotion circuits in the brain is through generosity Is through practicing generosity studies show that you have systematic changes in the brain that are associated with actual generosity systematic changes that actually support healthier attitudes, the ability to access happiness and joy and connection. And another scientist, Rick Hansen, says that um, neurons that fire together wire together. This is that neuroplasticity and found similar brain changes with the practice of gratitude. So neurologists are finding that practicing generosity and gratitude actually has positive effects on our brains. This, this has an effect on our, our the way we think, the way we feel, the way we behave, simply by practicing. And by doing this, what we're doing is changing states of experience, the state of being happy, which we all know sometimes in our life arises. But by practicing, supporting that, we change that more into a trait. It becomes more part of our character. So it's, it's more, it's less of a momentary experience and more of who we are when we practice in that way. So I wanted to tell a story that sort of talks about, or I think, I think sort of relates the connection between gratitude and generosity. Uh, I've told the story before. I don't think here. So I apologize if you've heard it. It's a real, real event. Um, there was uh, about 15 years ago or so off the coast of San Francisco, a, a boat was out at sea. There, uh, I think it might have been a just a commercial boat or something like that. And they found a humpback whale struggling to stay above water, to keep his blowhole above water. They didn't know what was wrong, so they called ashore and got a hold of a uh, a group of divers who agreed to go out and evaluate. They were not like a rescue operation or anything like that. They just happened to be people who were interested in seeing if they could help. And so they went out in the boat. I think there were about uh, eight or 10 people on the boat. They got out there and they couldn't really tell what was happening by looking in their boat. Uh, humpback whales weigh 50 tons and they're about 40 or 50 feet long. And to just you know cruise right up on one, is not exactly safe to do. So some of them got out into the skiff and approached the whale. And still, they couldn't quite figure out what was going on. They thought maybe it was tangled in some lines or something like that. And so they decided, well, the only thing we can really do here is get out of the boat. And so two or three of them actually got out in the water in the Pacific Ocean, 20 miles off the shore with this giant whale and approached it. And what they found was that it was uh, tangled up in large, basically, ropes that are trawling lines. That were connected to these large, what are called crab pots, and crab pots are uh, about the size of that, the squareness of that wall over there, maybe twelve or fifteen by twelve or fifteen. They're made out of chain link, and they're maybe uh, you know about three or four feet deep. And they drag these things through the ocean with bait in them, and crabs are attracted and get stuck. And they haul them up on the ship, and then they're harvesting crabs. So. What they found out was that this whale had got tangled in hundreds of feet of rope with about 10 or 15 of these crab pots dangling off of its tail underneath it, and it was dragging it down into the ocean. And the only solution that they could find was to, well, I guess we're going to have to cut the ropes away to approach the whale and cut the ropes away. So they got these curved knives that they had on the boat, and they did that. Many, many places, the, the ropes were so tight that they had, actually had to injure the whale to get the, the knife behind the rope to get it loose. You know, Went through the mouth and around the fins and everywhere. So they worked and worked and worked. Worked in the water, some of them working underwater, some of them on the surface. And they finally got enough of these ropes free that the whale could surface enough to breathe a lot easily, and eventually to actually swim free of the ropes. What happened then is, is these divers are floating in the water. The whale began to swim in circles, rolling in the water, jumping, you know, round and round in front of the divers. And, you know, I thought about when I read this mentioned dog a minute ago, I thought about when you come home and a dog's been confined all day and you let it out in the yard, or you take it for a walk. It's just like so happy, you know, It's so joyful. When you do that, you know, that's the first thing that came to me that the whale, again, not to anthropomorphize this animal, but that it might have been feeling joy, you know, Uh, freedom, maybe something like that, right? The next thing was the sort of amazing part of this story. When when the whale began to slow down, it turned and it went under the water and it began to approach the divers. And then again, about you but thinking about being in the water with this gigantic animal you know approaching from underneath and it came right up to the divers i'm sorry i just realized there's a chat here i'll I'll look at it in a minute (laughs) uh yeah just just support thank you but the the whale approach came up and it began to nudge each, each of the divers in the water each one and it's and it came up and nudged one Surfaced the eye, which is a bit about as big as a grapefruit, and just stared at them. Just looked looked at them, each of them. Went to the next one, nudge, stare. And then it went away. So that story is is to me a beautiful story. And I just want to ask you, what do you think that whale was expressing, if anything? when it came back around and approached those divers. Any ideas? What it might have been expressing? Probably gratitude. That's what that's what I like to think. <laughs> Someone said gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. I think it was thanking them. Yeah. Thanking them. So think of all that's going on here in the story. The acts of these, these un, unselfish acts of generosity from these divers, uh, courage, determination, kindness, compassion. The divers talked about this experience afterward. I think they felt sympathetic joy. You know, with in the experience, both with each other and also with the with the whale. These these. First three of the Brahma Viharas, the sublime attitudes that abide abodes so kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy. And then I'll talk about that last one in a moment. <laughs> um, so I, I, I believe that generosity and gratitude are deeply intertwined with each other, deeply intertwined. That there in the world, if we can practice being generous and being grateful, that we can create circles of positivity, of joy, of happiness. And there's something in the word gratitude that I think is important to acknowledge. Um, I'm going to read that definition again. The quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation for, and to return kindness. To return kindness. There's another word that I like even better. It's thanksgiving. Think about that word thanksgiving to thank is to be grateful and to give in the same word generosity and gratitude within the same word thanksgiving 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 the expression of gratitude often including a sense of reverence or as the Buddha said maybe a blessing. Or maybe as uh, Philip Moffat pointed out that gratitude, another word for me for blessing or reverence might be grace, grace. The gratitude and grace have the same root word gratis in Latin. And so that when we are grateful, we often feel A spontaneous sense of grace. Grace. Uh, It may may mean that too. Yeah. yeah. It may mean that. Yeah. 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 Maybe there's another, another element there too. In fact, that might fit very well too. It may be given or received freely, you know, I don't know yeah yeah but thanks for thanks for pointing that out yeah i i've heard that before too maybe maybe it's uh maybe there's a difference between gratis and gratis this is gratis i don't know you know could be yeah yeah so speaking of grace um one of the divers at least that was there that day was interviewed on shore afterwards And commented to the interviewer that this was the most profound experience of my entire life. This moment today, this moment today, yeah. And to me, that is where that last, that last of the Brahma Viharas and also the last of the Paramis, the perfections first one is generosity, the last one. Is equanimity serenity calm came in perspective grace feeling of being blessed on the earth so one of the things that i think we do a lot of times or forget to do is to remember what within us each of us is so valuable in other words to be grateful for ourselves parts of ourselves and if this is a struggle sometimes it's 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 helpful to think about what do i value we might not so easily feel like that's part of my character but if we ask ourselves what do i value we might hone in a little bit closer on what parts of ourselves that we are you might be grateful for and that's what i'd like to to uh, put to you to have a small group discussion is what within you might be valuable and again if it's a struggle for you to find that could be several things what do you value might be a clue right and what are some of the barriers that you might experience from from experiencing that from fully you know realizing it from it does that make sense both sides of that what might you say if you would explore within yourself what's valuable within me, what do I have to offer to give? What am I grateful for? Both sides, and what might be in, you know, in the way is a barrier for me, for me. I thought we might do that for about fifteen minutes. Yeah. Thank you, those of you online who were in rooms participating, and uh, also here in the larger room, and. Uh, just like to make some space at the end of our meeting, if anyone wanted to share anything with a larger group, uh, either from online or in the room here, about how that was for you, just explore that. Just explore. Yeah. So, it, some a- antidotes to yeah, self doubt. Yeah. 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 Um, I think there probably are many. Uh, maybe understanding that. Uh, exploring a little bit, if you can, what this if there was a source, you know, of of doubt, you know, if you can find one, that might be something to work with. It may be even outside the confines of, you know, Dharma study, but, um, doubt is, is one of the hindrances, you know, it's one of the hindrances that comes up and, um, to, to practice in the ways that we're talking about supporting attitudes that are not doubtful you know to be clear about in our understanding of the dharma to be clear about our intention is another one so in other words if if doubt feels like it's in the way can my intention carry me through you know well can i remember what i intend to do do i intend and in fact that goes into some of the the next parts of the a full path. Can I remember in this moment to, if I can, to speak as truthfully and clearly as I can, coming from my deepest understandings? Can I act that way? Can I can I shift my mind a little bit, you know, towards something that's more wholesome. You know, any of these ways I think would be ways to work with it. But to start, I think to start is to simply acknowledge it. I feel doubtful. You know, I feel doubtful. Can you make room for that? Because what often happens is we we react to it like, oh my gosh, there's doubt again. And then we it actually is inflamed. You know, we it's a reaction to a reaction to a reaction. Our mind gets clouded, our heart begins to react, our body feels tense. We might experience one of those uh, fight, fight, fleas or freeze or fallen experiences in which we are paralyzed or overreacting or, you know, acceding to other people's, you know, wishes. But just noticing is the start. Noticing is the start. And the practice is subtle. I I feel like all of this practice is subtle. It's little, little moves, little moves, little understandings, seeing them again and again. One of the first books I read uh, was a book by uh, Stephen Levine called A Gradual Awakening. And I think about that all the time, every almost every day. This is a gradual path. It's a gradual, subtle, slow realization. You know, sometimes we, we step backwards. But just, you know, what doing what we can in the ways that I talked about earlier with effort, which again, I don't really like the word so much as we translate it, but supporting is positive good joyful, happy attitudes as we can you know as a way of counteracting the attitudes that arise that are troublesome negative but most of all, most of all starting with simply acknowledging and allowing it you know not I've got to get rid of that you know Ugh. you know that energy can be really self-defeating, I think, as we practice. I hope that helps some, maybe. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone want to, yeah. I'd
1: just like to say thank you for your talk. You're you're an excellent teacher, and I really enjoyed your talk
0: today. Well, thank you, Anthony. I appreciate that. I really do. Thank you. You're
1: quite welcome. Thank you. uh, On the whole concept of doubt, I think in a lot of ways, it seems like everything else. Everything is arising. And you're right, the important thing is to notice it and then don't give it energy by trying to push it away or trying to hold on to it. And, then you know, this whole practice is is about letting go. You know, you sit there and you try to focus on the breath or focus on a koan or a mantra whatever, and your mind constantly goes someplace else and you bring it back. You let go of that thing, a thought, a feeling or a perception. And it's you're just constantly relinquishing everything. Yeah. It it just puts you in a different state of identity from, you know, focused, zoomed in on the thoughts and yeah. worries and rumination to becoming the watcher of the thoughts and feelings and perceptions to the void where everything is just coming and going. Mm-hmm. And the more you let go, the more you realize everything is impermanent mm-hmm. and the less you suffer because you realize there's nobody there to suffer. Yeah. I is just a thought.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that wisdom, Anthony. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Who else? Anyone else wants to come in yet? Isn't it a beautiful thing to be able to connect, to explore together, you know, both in the larger space and also in the smaller groups, you know, with, as Anthony just so beautifully shared, maybe an attitude of not knowing, just exploring. I, I don't know everything. I'm, I know I don't know everything. I'm not some guru. I, I don't have all the answers, but I find this nevertheless an incredibly powerful practice, unfolding community, you know, just, it's just very powerful, you know, and I'm glad to be here sharing it with you. Yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else online have a comment? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one thing we can do to practice, too, is to uh, this is something I try to remember to do. I don't do it every day, but is to, you know, reflect maybe at the end of the day or in the morning. Uh, or maybe both uh, just run back through my day and just ask myself what today that I receive either from the world or just you know in my life and my everyday activities or from other people particularly that I'm grateful for you know Uh, gratitude has both an immediate perspective and also a broader perspective gratitude is something we can reflect about all the way back, you know, we can remember people that are no longer with us and what kinds of influences they had on us. In fact, that's another thing I might offer you when, when you explore a little bit, maybe reflect, what is it that I have to give? What is it that's valuable within me? Did you recall where that might've come from? Was there someone in your life or other beings in your life that might've instilled those values? those valuable attitudes in you and hold them in gratitude. Notice that maybe they're still in your heart. I think that can be really powerful to do that. Yeah, thanks. Um, So as we close, I'd like to dedicate the merit of our uh, practice together. Oh, and also a reminder to, uh, if you can, if you're able, to practice generosity by supporting this sangha in whatever way you can. Uh, There's no required donation or anything like that, but if you can offer support whenever you can, I'm sure it would be very appreciated. So um, I'd like to read a poem uh, that I find very inspiring. And this poem uh, has the word blessing in the title. So maybe drawing ourselves inward again for The last few moments, if you'd like to close your eyes and just uh, recenter your awareness in your body. This poem is called Blessing the Boats. by A really wonderful poet named Lucille Clifton, who I believe is somewhat underappreciated. Blessing the Boats. May the tide that is entering even now the lip of our understanding, carry you out beyond the face of fear. May you kiss the wind, then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. May you open your eyes to water, water waving forever. And may you in your innocence sail through this to that. So may we, changing that last word, may we in our innocence sail through this to that. May any, anything that is positive, loving, caring, kind, compassionate, joyful, peaceful, that we've engendered here together today in community, sharing together, may it go with us out into the world. we might spread what we're grateful for and what we have to give this word thanksgiving thanksgiving giving feeling grateful that is expressed that goes with us that touches other human beings so that they might be lifted that they might feel more joy more love more self-compassion in their lives, and in that way be less fettered by suffering, by these poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. So deep thanks to all of you for being here. I so enjoyed being part of this group today. Thank you so much. Thank you, hope to see you again.